listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome James Cruz, author of four collections of award-winning poetry. James's work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, The New Republic, Plowshares, and many other literary publications. James is also the editor of several anthologies, including the recent release, How to Love the World, Poems of Gratitude and Hope. James also works as a teacher and creative coach, and he leads mindfulness and writing retreats throughout the country. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Hi, Joni. Thanks so much for having me. James, it seems much of your own poetry and the collections you foster gather around the subjects of hope and healing and joy and delight, connection, gratitude. So first of all, I want to say thank you for this much needed antidote to a weary world. But my first question has to do with something you wrote in your introduction to how to love the world. You shared how every day you carve out, quote, soul time for yourself. Can you explain what you meant by that soul time and how this practice serves you? I suppose that soul time for me is just any time that we carve out in the day to really slow down. Um, you know, the word mindful and mindfulness is kind of being overused right now. And it's it's become more of a concept rather than a practice. And so I think of soul time as anything you do to align a little bit more with your spirit or your soul. For me, it's sitting down with my coffee to journal and then meditating usually for like 20 minutes or a half an hour afterwards and doing that writing, taking that time for myself in the morning. But it could be a walk in nature. Um, It could be just even taking half a minute to notice the way the sun is striking the kitchen sink and really appreciating that and slowing down enough to feel grateful. Let's talk about your recent anthology, How to Love the World. Can you share what inspired you to create that collection, especially during these difficult years we've just been through? Yeah. Well, it was those difficult years that initially inspired it. The seed was really planted. It was about a year and a half ago. My husband and I were traveling in Argentina. And, you know, this was just a few months before the world shut down and the pandemic really hit. And just being in another culture and another country and meeting all of these really joyful people, people who seemed really grateful. I think I just realized that that was one of the things, you know, perhaps one of the many things, but one big thing that we were missing in our country was just this permission to feel joy. You know, there was so much work and still is to be done for justice to be achieved, especially after the various racial uprisings we've had. And so I was just noticing in my friends this, what I would think of as like a compassion fatigue. We were all feeling so deeply for the suffering in the world and what was going on and some of what was happening in our own country. And yet we weren't taking that soul time to recharge and we weren't allowing ourselves a lot of the little joys or the moments of gratefulness that I think actually lead to being able to be more effective as a change maker or as an activist or just as a loved one in your family. 
And then the pandemic hit and I just realized that this book was going to be even more necessary for myself as well as for other people. How did you go about selecting the poems for this anthology? So I was really looking for poems that felt welcoming, that felt really joyful, and that just made me feel better after I read them. And when I'm in the process of doing anthologies like this, I always trust what comes across my desk because I'm a big believer in intuition and that when we embark on a creative project, if we're really tuned in, if we're doing our best to pay attention, then the universe is going to help us along, our friends, our connections, all of that. I can't tell you how many times I would just be scrolling through social media and I would see a poem and it's like, oh, I have to have that poem. (laughs) Fate or something, put it in your path. What inspires a poem for you? I tend to need to be moving in order to get the creative juices flowing, especially as far as poetry. That's not as true for journaling. I find that I can just dive right into that. But for poetry, usually it just begins with an image or a phrase, and it kind of comes into my mind. And I've described it to people almost like an itch or, you know, this... (laughs) something that you want to follow and you just can't resist it. And so if I'm out in the world, sometimes I'll just go back to my car, sit down and write it down for a few minutes. And then once I have captured that, I usually do my best to work on it in the moment if I have the time to do that, because it's much harder for me to enter a creative piece later on. It almost feels like the door has closed too much, that that initial spark has maybe died down a little bit too much. Talk about your prize winning collection, Telling My Father. It is a beautiful book that you dedicated to your late dad. Can you talk about that book and what it means to you? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I was working on that for probably 10 years before it was published. And it was published about 10 years after my dad passed away. So he died from hepatitis C that he had acquired from some homemade tattoos he got when he was just a kid, basically. And um, he died very early. He was 43 years old. But it took me a long time to be able to write about it in a way that felt true or that felt authentic. Because initially, the grief and the loss was just so raw and so devastating. But it took the longest to write. And I do think of it in many ways as a love poem to my father. Um, You know, we weren't always the closest when he was alive. We didn't always understand each other. But I think the gift of that book, and I think this can be the gift of any writing, especially when you're writing about someone who's gone, is that it helped me to realize the depth of his love for me and that that love was really pure and, and really different from the kind of fatherly love that a lot of other people experience. Um, he was very in touch with his emotions. You know, he would cry at movies and, you know, get teary-eyed if my brother and I were fighting or something. You know, he was so sensitive. And I think um, because he was also very masculine, he was a mechanic, he could fix anything. I don't think I really got in touch with that side of him until I started writing about him. And until I started writing these poems that were remembering him and remembering these moments of tenderness and connection that we had had, and that had kind of gotten pushed away by the last couple of years when he was sick, you know, that there was so much to do 
and so much to think about. Those moments got lost a little bit, but through the act of working on this book, I was able to recover those moments. And I think that's one of the big beauties of poetry for me is that it allows me access to moments that have been lost or might otherwise be lost. And I'm so grateful for that. You're currently hosting a six-week webinar on the poetry of resilience. Can you think of a particular time in your life where you really had to call on your own resilience to get through it, to move forward? I was living out West in Portland, Oregon, and I hadn't published any books yet. I really didn't have much confidence in myself as a poet. And I think I was still really afraid to claim my own space as a creative writer and and to really follow through and live that life. I think I was still trying to live a very safe life. I was working an office job. I was trying to date the right people and doing my best to fit in. And, you know, I think writing actually saved me during that time because it showed me that that wasn't the life for me. There was so much pressure to be drinking all the time and a very big drug culture there. I think through writing, journaling, the poetry that I was able to write at that time, it just dawned on me that I didn't want to do that anymore. So I just started submitting actually to writer's residencies all around the country as a way of getting myself out of that life. And once I got to these residencies and was really just basically invited to be still with my own experience, my whole life changed and I got more in touch with myself, really my grief over the loss of my father and just my own creativity than I had ever been in my entire life. James, I want to pause here and invite you to read one of your poems. Sure. This poem that I'm going to share was actually written directly after one of the walks in nature that I mentioned. There's a a nature preserve near our house here in Southern Vermont. And um, walking there during the pandemic has just been such a gift. So this one is called Consider the Lilies. This is the unbreaking news. Today on my walk, I saw hundreds of trout lilies breaking through leaf litter their spotted green leaves nearly translucent in the sun, pointed upward like spears, already turning the leftovers of this last difficult year into fertilizer, into food. Consider these lilies, how they'd never call themselves broken simply because they had to live in darkness and cold for months how they don't have to be told to reach for the dappled light. They know they need to bloom. Unbreaking news indeed. James, you have an MFA in creative writing and a PhD in writing and literature. So I wondered if you could talk about what you feel the greatest value of an MFA was to your creative life. Yeah, I would say that both of those experiences were extremely valuable for me in the connections that I made with other writers and the time that I was given and both took (laughs) to work on my own work because it wasn't always easy to take the time during programs like that where I was taking classes, teaching, expected to show up for readings. But I did take that time and I found that that was the greatest gift of going the academic route. Now for each of those programs, 
programs, I was lucky enough to mostly have them paid for. So I was very blessed and fortunate to have teaching assistantships for the MFA, as well as for the five years of the PhD. And that made all the difference in the world. Uh, It meant I was very much not getting rich, but I was able to live simply and frugally and get by and pay the bills. In terms of whether other people should go that route or not is a very difficult question for me to answer. You know, I think it's a matter of staying in touch with what you're drawn to and your own intuition, because especially with, well, with really both programs, one was in Wisconsin, one was in Nebraska, I didn't particularly want to live in the Midwest any longer than I needed to because I had grown up there and spent the first 23 years of my life in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was kind of ready to see more of the world. But I just had a strong intuitive hit that I needed to go to both of those places. And in Nebraska, especially, I was lucky enough to work with my mentor. He's currently a friend still, Ted Kuzer, and he's been integral to my creative process, really just my life and how I live. And so I wouldn't give up that for the world, but I would also encourage other people to do your best to find who that person might be for you or which program might be best for you. James, let's get back to your poetry. In your collection Bluebird that came out last year, you chronicle your life living on an organic farm with your husband in rural Vermont. One reviewer wrote, Bluebird is written with clarity and attention to the moments that make life memorable. James, I wondered, what are some of those memorable moments of life now, being a poet, living on an organic farm? You know, it's such a gift to be able to walk among the fields in the morning, fields that have been newly plowed or fields of recently rye grass that were growing basically up to my chest and have just been mowed for hay. And to just watch that process and to see the rye grass now turning a little more golden every day in these longer days of sunlight that we've been having. So to notice things like that, or just the other day, I was passing through the field and I was watching in the wind how these tall stalks of grass that were just flowering out were sending these clouds of pollen into the wind. You know, it was reflected perfectly against the sunlight and I had just never noticed that before. It was such a beautiful thing. That's lovely. James, I have one last question. If you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? Let's see, I'm I'm doing the math. (laughs) Not a stickler, don't worry. Well, the words that came to mind were, you have always been enough. And I think about that as a writer and just as a person thinking about those early struggles when I didn't think that I was quite enough as a poet or a writer. Well, James, earlier we were talking about your anthology full of poems of gratitude and hope. And I just want to say here that I'm very grateful that you gave me this time for the interview. And I hope that our paths cross again soon. So thank you. Anytime, Joni. I'm always happy to talk poetry with you. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing on this podcast. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about James Cruz and his work as a poet and writing coach, be sure to visit his website, jamescruz.net. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, 
And don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.